What a great morning. It just excites me so much every Sunday to be be welcoming so many new people. We are so blessed, and what a gifted church we have. I think of uh, Trey Holiday, one of our long-term members leading worship in such an effective way today. I think of Brian DeCapity, one of our newest members leading us around the table in such a great way. So we're really blessed. We love to recognize members on their special day. So I want to recognize one more member. Uh, Tate Bevins, would you stand up and turn around? Please, Tate. <laughs> yes, yes, we love to um, honor once-in-a-lifetime achievements. That's awesome. <laughs> That's great. Well, let's start off this morning. I want to quote uh, from Shakespeare. It's uh, one of his famous plays, Henry V. And uh, here's uh, a speech made in that play before the Battle of Agricourt. This is the day called the Feast of Crispin. He that outlives this day and comes safe home will stand tiptoe when the day is named. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother. And then you see this great quote on the screen. And those who fought will show their scars and stand tall. And those who slept safely in their beds will wish they had been there. I love that quotation because he's talking about the camaraderie and the closeness that happens when you go to battle. I love the line, we few, we happy few, we band of brothers. And that, that term has become such a big thing from the book, Band of Brothers, from, from the mini-series about those men who trained together, who stormed the beaches of Normandy and led to the downfall of Hitler. And what we see in that term and in those mini-series is the closeness, the intimacy, the camaraderie that only people who've been through that can understand. You see, something happens when people serve together. Something happens when we sacrifice together. Something happens when we unite in something bigger than us. Something happens when we storm the gates of hell. You know, the army has a term for this I quite like. It's called battle buddy. Probably the best sermon title I've ever had. All right? Battle buddy. And the army was smart enough to know that they needed to assign someone from boot camp on for them to fight together. That if they gave battle buddies, all the studies say that it increased their confidence, it increased their morale, it decreased their stress, and actually decreased the rate of suicide. Army's smart to do that. Guys, we don't have to go to the army to learn that out. Our Lord Jesus knew that. Because when Jesus sent people out to battle, how did he send them? He sent them two by two. And today, we're going to talk about being in that battle. And I want you to go where Paul talks about his battle buddies. If you have your phone or your Bible, go to the book of Philippians. Because the church at Philippi, Philippi is Paul's battle buddies. You know, many of us, when we were in school, in high school, we learned how to write different kinds of letters. You remember that? There might be a personal letter, a business letter, a legal letter. We were trained to how to write those differently. In ancient days, 
there are over 21 different types of letters. And today in the book of Philippians, we see one particular kind that was called the friendly letter. And listen, of all of Paul's 13 letters, there's not a friendlier, warmer, more loving letter than to this church because he felt such a closeness to them. They'd experienced something as battle buddies that had changed them. But let's go right into the book. Look at verses 3 and 4. Here's how Paul feels about these people. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Wouldn't you love someone to think about you and say, every time I pray about you, it just fills my heart with joy? Now why? Here we go. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus. What do battle buddies experience? First of all, they experience close partnership. That word partnership sometimes is, is, is translated as fellowship. And we think of fellowship and partnership as having something in common. It could be all kinds of things. But the import of Paul's words here, the strength of his words here, is more than just we've got, you know, our team in common, or we've got this company in common, or we've got the Lord in common. That's, that's enough. But what it actually means there is not only do we have something in common, but we also participate in something together. Yes, we have common beliefs, but we also have common actions. And it's those actions and beliefs that come together to give us friendships like we might find nowhere else. If you know the history of the church of Philippi, all you'd have to do is go back to Acts chapter 16. Paul is going planting churches. His normal mode is to plant a church through a synagogue. But there's no synagogue there. And so Paul finds by the river a woman's prayer meeting. That was okay with him. And he ended up leading a woman, a businesswoman named Lydia to Christ. And she starts a house meeting in her home. And it begins to grow. And Paul begins to go across town. And one day he makes what looked like to be a mistake. There was a young lady who was demon-possessed, and he cast the demon out. But what the people got so mad about was somehow this demon-possessed girl could tell the future. She was a a fortune teller. And I don't know what happened, but after the demon was knocked out, she couldn't do it anymore. And this was the way many people in Philippi made their living. And so there was a riot, and there was a mob, and they were wanting to kill Paul for casting the demon out. Can you imagine? And so the, the authorities arrest him, and they put him in jail with Silas. So they're in jail, and you always know that beautiful scene. Paul and Silas are singing praises to God in the middle of jail. And then there's an earthquake. And when the earthquake happens, the doors of the jail cell fly wide open. But Paul and Silas don't run. They stay. And when the Philippian jailer comes to check on them, thinking they're gone and he's in trouble, he's shocked to find them there. And guess what? Paul and Silas stop, go to his home, share the gospel with him, he washes their wounds, and they baptize him into Jesus. It's an incredible scene. 
And so Paul's looking back at this church at Lydia and the Philippian jailer and all the people who'd come together to form this church, the battle scars they had together. And he says, guys, we had more than just a church. We had a partnership. We were working together. You see, this partnership changed the people in Philippi's life. It changed Paul's life, and it opened up a beachhead for the gospel in Europe. It was so important. And here's what I want you to see this morning more than anything else, that partnership forged in battle is the best place to form great friendships. Have you ever been part of something where maybe you were upset about something politically or morally in our country and you joined a common cause and you felt so close? Or, or maybe, you know, you played on that sports team together and it was a tough season but you made it together. Or it was a championship season and you enjoyed it together. But for whatever reason, you look back in your life and think, man, those, those were my close friends. Ford's in the middle of that. Or maybe it was just an academic friendship because you sat in the back in that biology class and struggled every day and somehow helped each other to pass and you still have that relationship. That's what Paul's talking about. When you go through something like that, especially battle for God, you forge a great relationship. In fact, Paul says, not only was it the Philippians and Paul, he says, I'm confident that God who started this thing is not going to stop it. So you're talking about a spiritual partnership they had? It's the kind of camaraderie we love. And let's go a little bit further in chapter 1 of Philippians. Look at verse 27 with me. And Paul's talking about battle here. Whatever happens, whether I live, Paul says, or I die, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know. I love this, this line that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. This partnership makes you one. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved in that by God. For it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now here I still have. They're going through this together. The first thing was that, that partnership. The second thing battle buddies experience is what I would call foxhole unity. They're, they're together as one. Talking about living close. A foxhole is a very small place. Two soldiers can be in that. But a lot of things change when bullets are whizzing by your head. And grenades are exploding all around you. You find a unity that's not dependent on your skin color, not dependent on your economic background, not dependent on your political background, not dependent on any of the things we normally let divide us. But it's in that foxhole that you experience a unity of purpose. Can I ask you this morning, who's in your foxhole? Because guys, we're in a battle, and the bullets are whizzing all around us, and there are grenades in front of us, and landmines. And the question is, who's in my foxhole with me fighting this battle together? That's when you really get close. And then Paul says, let me tell you about a couple folks that were in the foxhole with me. 
Really, you got three characters in this story. You got Paul, who was a, a Jew. You've got Timothy, that was half Jew and half Gentile. And then we're going to meet a guy named Epaphroditus, who is completely Gentile. But they're all united in this battle. First of all, he tells us about Timothy, chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. Well, listen to this. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. You know, a battle buddy? Paul says, man, you know, Paul had lots of friends. Lots of friends. He said, this guy's my best friend forever. I, I, I got nobody like this guy because he cares about me. He cares about people. Verse 22, but you know that Timothy has proven himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. What did battle buddies experience? They experienced genuine care. Genuine care. I mean, you, you know when someone's willing to sacrifice what might please them to help you, you got a friend. You see, my friends, there are, are three different kinds of people you're going to encounter in your life. You're going to encounter people like Timothy that are absolutely for you. A few times in your life, you will encounter people that actually are against you. But more times than not, you will encounter people that are for themselves. They don't dislike you. They're not against you, but they don't pay attention to you. They're after their own interests. Paul says, Timothy's one of those guys who showed genuine care, who is actually for me. I'm telling you, my friends, when you find a friend like that, you better jump all over that. And then he tells us about another foxhole friend, Epaphroditus. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, I love the label here, and fellow soldier, who's also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you in his distress because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I'm all the more eager to send him so that you may see him again. You may be glad, and I may be less anxious. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him. Pay close attention to verse 30. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, he risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give. Well, what what a Paul experienced with Epaphroditus, I call it that risk-taking thrill. You see, I mean, you got the story here. Uh, the Philippians, they really do care about Paul, and they're worried about him, and they send Epaphroditus. But while Epaphroditus is there, he gets very, very sick, deathly sick. And they're all worried about him. And Paul finally, you know, you didn't have uh, FaceTime at that moment. They, they finally, they say, hey, we're going to send you back over there because these guys are so anxious and worried about you. I want them to see that you're okay. But in the middle of this, here's what it said about him. He risked his life 
for the work of Christ. I don't think that's his sickness. I think he risked his life in that if you visited a prisoner in Rome and you are a friend to someone there, you too could be arrested. So I love this this risk-taking thrill. And guys, when we put ourselves out there for the gospel, we're going to experience some thrill that we don't experience otherwise. Maybe you've experienced the thrill of climbing a mountain or, or doing that rope course or, you know, challenge yourself to learn a foreign language and there's just the thrill of putting yourself out there for something that's hard and not easy and, and you accomplish it. Listen to me. The greatest thrill you and I should experience in our life is putting our lives on risk for the sake of the gospel. Can I ask you this question? Let me ask myself this question. When's the last time you had an adrenaline, adrenaline rush because you stepped out for God? You say, you know, I don't know if I should say something to my friend, but I just got to say something. I don't know if I should go to that place to share the gospel. It's going to be hard, but I'm going to go to that place. Yeah, I'm not sure I have the words to say to that person in the hospital. I'm pretty uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to walk in that hospital I'm sort of uncomfortable with that small group setting where people actually share what's going on in their life, but I'm going to push myself enough to to go in there and, and take the risk of being vulnerable. You see, the cool thing about that is when you take that risk, you develop friendships that are unlike anything else you could experience. We understand that on the ball field, you know, when you've won a, a great game and you you know you scored the touchdown and the game was over. Man, you're going to run to the sideline and grown men are going to hug each other and high-five each other and pat each other uncomfortably on the butt. Because there is a thrill of accomplishment. Can you imagine the thrill of accomplishment in the kingdom of God? Lots of you can. I think of so many people in our church who experience this kind of friendship. I think about the founding members of our church. Niamark was formed in 1972 by a group of people meeting at the East YMCA, found a church building, a large church building on the Atlanta Highway for sale. They, put, they risked, they, 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 they took their mortgages and mortgaged their homes to buy that building and start an evangelistic church in East Montgomery. And sometimes when I see those people and most of them have passed on now. And I've done a lot of their funerals. I'm a little jealous because those guys were so close. You talking about friendships that were forged? You know, I think about one of those men, Bill Page, who continues to forge great friendships. Him and Tommy Vault have led one of our most successful prime timers life groups. They didn't know each other before Tommy moved here from Tuscaloosa, but they've become great friends. There's so many things to celebrate today. I think of, you know, the friendship being forged right now from Al Crosby and Josh Roberts as they lead one of our most successful ministries, Blue Flame. We celebrated just a little while ago about the 21 years of RSVP, and for 21 years, starting with about three or four people, that ministry has been led by Ed and Barbara Weiss and Tim Lee. 
and, and what a closeness they have. And not only did they celebrate 21 years Wednesday night, but I think they probably had their, their biggest attendance ever, 78 people. Could you give a hand for that? Now think about people like Al Milligren and Paul Evans who forged a great friendship when Paul was a teenager. Al trained him, put him into ministry. I think of relationships like Becky Bagwell and Betsy Guy. They had a relationship before this, but their work over at Halcyon Elementary School has made them closer than ever. You know where that school is, just a couple blocks from us. We've tried to pour a lot of resources into that school a lot of you have served over there. I ran to one of the teachers the other day, and she recognized me as being the minister here at Landmark, and so she, she, she talked to me, and I asked her how the school year was going, and she told me that Halcyon is booming at the seams, that because people can transfer to a successful school in Montgomery, they cannot hardly handle the number of students and families coming their way. Listen to me, guys. Five years ago, that was a failing school. Would you clap there, guys? Come on. And I'm not saying landmarks completely to credit for that. The, the principle is amazing. But we, we need that kind of hope. And I'm telling you, when you have that kind of partnership, where you have that close partnership, where you're in the foxhole together, when someone genuinely cares about you and someone's willing to take risk. Because listen to me, friendships do not happen without risk. And you say, well, I don't know how quite to do that. I'm telling you, the best way to do that is to put yourself to work side by side with someone in the kingdom of God. So we've seen that incredible atmosphere that happens. Let's, let's just look at one more passage, and let's talk about how does this happen. Go to 2 Timothy, if you would, with me, chapter 2. And here the Apostle Paul, as he talks about being a soldier in the gospel and what actually happens when we work together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, verse 1. Oh, listen to what he says here. Just four verses. You then, my son, he's talking to Timothy, that foxhole partner, you then, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Okay, you want to know how this happens? Let me quickly tell you how it happens. Number one, you've got to be soldiers that are growing together. Paul's talking about four generations. There's Paul, there's Timothy, there's reliable men, and there's others. And Paul's saying the way the gospel explodes, the way we get close, is when one person pours into another. You know the closeness you have when someone you love, you've poured your life into them and they're changing. Or you come to church this morning, you look across the aisle and you see someone that was just baptized a couple years ago and they've grown so much. And, and you know, you, you had a small part of that. And in the midst of that, you grew a close relationship. My friends, when we begin to sold, be soldiers that are growing together, 
When we all admit that we're imperfect, and we all admit that we'd like to be like Jesus, and we all start helping each other become like Jesus. I think of another friendship that's being forged right now, you know, through something really good. Stephen Sermon, Keith Yeager, and um, Brandon Egerton. They took the lead of starting Man Church. And now there's about a dozen men's groups meeting every day of the week here in Montgomery, studying the Bible together. Then not only does that happen, but I'll guarantee you those three men in spreading the word have grown closer together. Number two, soldiers suffering together. You know, in, in, in warfare, we know the end of this war. We know we'll be victorious, but there's all kinds of skirmishes and battles in between. And some days we win and some days we lose. Nothing hurts more than when you're trying to battle for someone's soul and they walk away. Or somebody you care about fell away. And you just, you just mourn that. But sometimes in suffering together, you grow close. You know, Paul talks about suffering for the concerns of the church. Some of you understand what it's like to suffer depression or anxiety or some kind of mental illness together. And it forges your friendship through suffering. When you're living for God and you're, you're sacrificing and you're doing hard work together and you're being persecuted. When Satan's throwing those darts at you, I'm telling you, it's those people, you live through that, that you'll feel close to the rest of your life. Number three, that brings us to soldiers sacrificing together. Paul says, no one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. Listen, guys, if we really believe that we're at war, if you and I believe that we are not living on a playground, we are living on a battleground. You see, here's the problem with Christians today. Most of us think we're just on a playground, and we're playing church, and we're playing life, and we're just playing the nice middle-class American life thinking that's okay. Listen to me. We're not on a playground. We are on a battleground. And when you're on a battleground, you know what? There's some things that you've got to say no to. He says, if you're a soldier, listen to me. You don't get involved in civilian affairs. Why? Because you've got a war to fight. And I think what Satan has done to so many of us is he's taken us out of the war, not by taking us into some kind of deep sin issue, but just diverting our attention to, to putting other things as bigger priority than the kingdom of God. And, and Paul says here, if we're going to experience this kind of closeness, we're going to have to make some sacrifices the way we use our time, the way we use our money. The way we use our giftedness. Nothing should demand or receive more of your time, more of your resources, and more of your gifts and talents than the kingdom of God. And yet Satan wants to take us out of the war because we get focused on what Paul says, civilian affairs. And finally, he says, we need to be soldiers pleasing God together. You see, he says, this great soldier wants to please his commanding officer. My friends, listen to me this morning. Our unity in this church is not based on pleasing you or pleasing me. It's based on pleasing God. And there's nothing like after a hard day in the battle, laying your head on your pillow and knowing, you know what? I've not been perfect, but in some small way I've pleased God together. And even better, that we have pleased God together. You see, that's why if you are in the army, they teach you to obey immediately. 
That's why they put you through this rigorous training. Because you need, when your officer says, duck, you better duck. When your officer says, go, you better go. Why? Because without that, you're going to get killed. If those bullets are going past your head and, and your officer says, get down in that foxhole, you better do it right then. You don't go, um, you know, I really don't feel like it right now. Um, um, I think you're wrong about that. I don't see it. I mean, I, I, no, 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 no. You are taught and you are trained to obey immediately. And guys, as we enter this war, we've got a commanding officer who actually is perfect. And when he commands us, we are to obey immediately. Talking about living close. Let me just mention two things before we close out. Coming up where you can be a part of this. First of all, you've heard us talk about next Sunday. I hope we've got your attention. Living close, living on mission with Jesus. Now, let me tell you just a little bit more about Dave Clayton. Dave Clayton is the preacher of this ethos church. Back in 2008, the Harvard Hills Church of Christ decided they wanted to reach people they weren't reaching. And so they went to downtown Nashville. Dave had just been a youth and campus minister, hired him to lead this thing. They rented a bar, and the church exploded. I go there with my son sometimes. It's amazing. You walk in that place. It's packed with younger people being led for, to Jesus. Now they've got three or four campuses of thousands of people across the Nashville area. And next week, in service, Sunday night and Tuesday night, we're going to have a chance to hear him. It's gonna be, you're going to fall in love with him, period. But in Bible class especially, he's going to be giving us practical strategies to reach people today. So come a little early next week. That's going to be a great thing. Living on mission, that's when we're going to get close. And then, you know, one of the, the greatest ways we do that at Landmark, if you're new with us, is what we call Faith Work Sunday. That's coming up in less than a month. On Faith Work Sunday, we sign up for work in the new year. And, and so it, this year, because COVID's further enough behind, it's going to be the full listing of every ministry in this church. You're going to have lots of choices. Now, we've learned from experience that some of us don't fill that out. And so what we're trying to do as best we can is go to people who didn't fill it out and say, would you please help us? And what I found out personally is if I ask somebody personally, they'll do it. But here, here's what I got to just tell you guys. We don't have time to do that because we're in the middle of a war. We've got thousand, over 1,000 members. We can't go to every individual and say, please, please, please help. It's going to take you making sure you tell us where you want to serve. And here's what I'm saying. When you get back in that nursery and you serve with people, when you work in the inner city and you serve with people, when you come out here and even cut the grass with people, I'm telling you there's a closeness that happens when you serve together. I hear so many of you telling me, okay, buddy, I, I hear this series, and, and I'm I've heard so many people say, I am, especially me, I'm lonely. I really don't have friends. How do I go about it? We've given you a lot of things the last few weeks, but this one is the easiest. Go get in a ministry together with somebody, and, and there'll be a bond there. So I want to close with this quotation from a, a, vet, a veteran that I saved years ago. He was a Vietnam vet. And after the war, he writes these things. Vietnam was the first place I ever came in contact with people who were working toward the same goal and who were honest about their feelings. 
The platoon I was in was tight. We knew more about each other than our blood families did. Masks came off in war. I'd been searching for that kind of friendship all my life. So when my tour of duty was over, I signed up for an additional two years just to keep these kind of friendships going. When I left the service, I felt lost. I tried to stay in touch with the men, but it didn't seem to work. And then that same hole in my life appeared again. My friends, if we'll get on a war footing as a church, then nobody's going to have to search for those kind of friendships. We can be the place where it happens. So I want to ask you a question. Do you have a battle buddy? Who's in the foxhole with you right now? Who knows what's going on with you? Who sees the the dark Satan's throwing at you? Who sees the victories that's going on in your life? We all need a battle buddy. You say, well, I don't. That's okay. I understand that. I think today's culture is hard. How do you get it? Let's boil it all down to get in the battle. That's the way you get it. You get in the battle. And so this morning, we're going to have a time of response. We're going to make it as easy as possible for you. I want to invite all of our staff and shepherds and spouses to come circle the stage. And as we sing in just a moment, if if you find yourself and you're not in the battle, you're just really being honest here. I mean, you're going to church, you're part of church, things are a cool thing, but as for really battling, as for really having some battle buddies, you don't. Then you don't have to write a card out and me announce it all. Just come up here and pray with one of us. Or maybe you, you've been in the battle and you're discouraged. Maybe you've been in the battle and Satan somehow through everything has isolated you to the side. And you just need some prayers about finding that battle buddy. Or maybe this morning, you've never joined the army, and you want to be baptized. Today would be a great day to do that. If today you're discouraged, if there's some arrows come at you in the battle, some temptations, some diversions that you need someone to know about and pray about, then please join us around this stage. Just come Give us either a piece of paper, your name, your request, or or speak very clearly what your name is and what you want us to pray about. And over these next songs, we will pray together. If you need to come, come right now while we stand and sing.